All right, everyone. This is Derek Russell. I am so excited for this special episode. More of the episodes that I've done have been interviews uh, with colleagues of mine um, here at Microsoft and asking them uh, all the, the hard and sticky questions that everyone wants to know about in the Data Binge podcast. How is data and artificial intelligence and machine learning and the adoption to the cloud impacting the new rise of business in this new digital era? And what are people doing um, from a business point of view to prepare for this thing? And it's been super fun. I've had some really great people on so far, everything from sales consultants to artificial intelligence coders to uh, programmers, engineers, solution architects. And I have a really, really great uh, suite of people uh, ready to come on and, and share their experiences with us. But today, I wanted to focus on something I've really, really been wanting to talk about. And this is the top 10 things I have learned at my one year here at Microsoft. I joined last year, June um, 2017, June 26th. And I've been waiting for this podcast. I've really been interested in doing this. And I'm just going to dive right in. Um, but before I do, and before I, I, I tell everyone why this is so important to me, let me just go back and talk a little bit about why I chose to come to Microsoft and what I'm doing here. So right now, I'm a solution specialist for the data and artificial intelligence solution area here in the uh, Southern California Southwest Enterprise Operating Unit. So what I do is I am a, a technologist, a digital strategist, a liaison between Microsoft technologies and the data and artificial intelligence space. So you're talking about products ranging from uh, machine learning tools um, to IoT platforms all the way into our cloud. Um, and taking all those that, that breadth of technologies and really getting deep and having some depth about how businesses can start to leverage their, the power of their data estate across these, these technologies uh, to create insights and unlock value uh, to empower their employees and their customers. So that's what I do today. Um, super exciting. I'm on the, the leading edge of a lot of these technolo technological conversations I'm having with customers that our team is having with its customers. But the way that I got here was super, super interesting. I was recruited out of an MBA program by Microsoft from the University of Texas, the University of Texas in Austin. And uh, the McComb School of Business was a two-year uh, MBA program. And I went back uh, to business school because I had um, done a lot of really great things. I, I, I uh, had a couple different roles in the environmental engineering and environmental health and safety uh, fields, uh, the industrial hygiene fields. Really enjoyed it. Did some engineering work there. Uh, became a sales consultant um, doing that. Um, I double-clicked and I started getting involved in clean tech. Really loved that, but I just didn't, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do. Um, when it got into the MBA program, I had this professor from one of, my, one of my strategy classes, Professor John Doggett. And Professor John Doggett had these insane ideas about what was going to happen with the world. And it was all focused around technology and robots. And he had this book that he recommended me read. And it was, uh, it was called Rise of the Robots by Martin Ford. It's a New York Times bestseller. It actually uh, uh, won Business Book of the Year in 2015. Um, in, in just an impossibly awesome book talking all about technology, the threat of a jobless future. Check the book out. I'll put it in the show notes. Just incredible. And I started reading this book and I started, you know, 
thinking to myself, oh my gosh, this book is talking about and comparing the revenue per employee at a company like GM and a revenue per employee at a company like Google. And it just the amount of assets that, that typical businesses have in the Fortune 5 compared to a Google is just massive. And how long can this last? And how, how much easier it is, is it for these big tech companies to offer value? Then it started getting into cloud and the prevalence of, of cloud computing and what can happen if you know, there's a surgeon. And these are some quick examples. There's a surgeon in Switzerland, um, a, a robot that's performing a surgery on a woman that has a tumor and then figures out how to remove that tumor, then instantaneously a robot in Australia could then use that data and perform the exact same surgery without having to take years and years and years to, to read um, medical journals and things like that. And then just, just the power of AI and all these different things started to flood my brain. And I thought to myself, holy crap, I'm not going to have a job if I don't get into technology. Of course, that, that's totally the, the dystopian way to view it. But I really, really like, wanted to get into technology. I started consuming different keynotes from different big tech companies. So the Cinder Pichai's of the world, um, uh, the Ginny Rometty's of the world, of course, the Satya Nadella's, Tim Cook. And a lot of these businesses were on campus recruiting. And I started to socialize with some of these businesses. I had interviews at Dropbox and IBM. And I was talking to people at, at Google. But I really, really got pulled into Microsoft because of Satya Nadella. And Satya was talking about um, you know, the mission statement um, to empower every person and organization on the planet to achieve more. And I realized that Microsoft was just not another tech company. They were building really great tech for companies and customers that were building really great tech. So I immediately was pulled into this thing. I reached out to some people. Everyone was just fantastic. Um, I really went all in. It was, a, it would, to me, it was a dream come true to be even interviewing at Microsoft. I remember even I was part of a, a tech group there at the school and they had some tech companies come in and some people talking about their jobs or someone from Amazon and Adobe and there was someone from Apple or someone from Microsoft. And this, this woman was talking about her experience at Microsoft. And I thought to myself, wow, like you, you must, you have to be so incredibly insanely brilliant to work at Microsoft. There's no way I could work there. Um, and here I am. And these are the top 10 things that I've learned in my years time here at Microsoft, these are mostly not technologist oriented um, things. They're actually, or learnings. They're actually things that I took away. Uh, I think that everybody could use on the day to day. If you work with large teams of people, um, if you really want to be cognizant of how, of how to be a leader and how to be effective um, in large teams of people, I think this is going to be really um, helpful. And if you've ever wanted to understand how a big tech business runs, um, especially at the leading edge when you're talking about data, you're talking about artificial intelligence. Um, I think this is going to be really helpful. And I've talked to folks, um, executives um, on the leadership team that are just a couple, uh, maybe a handful of levels below our CTO or our CEO. And I've also talked to folks that are on the administrative uh, assistant and executive assistant level. Um, so I think this works with any kind of team, uh, call, any kind of team, um, any kind of set of colleagues, customers, um, competitors, and I hope this is, is helpful. So here we go. Number one, understanding how colleagues are incentivized. This was so important to me last year. Um, of course, you're working with a ton of people and you're really trying to understand what's most effective for them. You're really trying to understand how you can really do things to help them out, how you can be most effective as a team. 
And there was this one gentleman that I just, I had a hard time um, reaching. If you've ever had a a manager or a colleague or someone you've worked with that you just couldn't connect, I had a hard time connecting with this person. I got some advice from one of my managers and my manager said, look, you need just ask him how he's incentivized or figure out how he's incentivized. Um, I went back, I did learn how he was incentivized. And on one of the calls that we got on, he was kind of giving me the cold shoulder. I was, I'm a, I'm a, I was new kid on the block. He had been in role for maybe, you know, five to 10 years. Very, very good at, at enterprise um, consulting, enterprise selling, um, enter, enterprise advising. And I just got the same kind of wall that he put up, this mental psychological wall he put up every single time I tried to get close. And one day I asked him, or I actually found out how he was incentivized. And one day I said, hey, look, um, this is what I'm trying to do. We're incentivized in the same exact way. This is my end goal. And I made sure that my end goal mapped directly into what I knew his end goal was. And literally, like instantly, like a snap of a finger, he just, I just noticed him change on a call that we were on a Skype call. And his next words were, and I quote, now you're talking my language, Derek. And then ever, I swear, and ever since then, our relationship has been super differentiated, super unique. We've been operating so well. And I think it's because he just, I just really needed to figure out how are these people incentivized? You know, how are they paid? How, what are their, how, how, what, what checks the box for a job well done for them every single day? You know, how, how do I help provide, you know, do the things that will provide for their families and for their personal and, and, and professional interests? Well, that's number one. Understand how your colleagues are incentivized. Super important. Um, schedule a learning time every single day. So I had a colleague tell me this one day. I was asking some, him some technical questions. And he said, look, Derek, what you have to do, and he had been around Microsoft for 10 or 15 years, quite a long time. He said, what you have to do is schedule 30 minutes a day um, to make sure that you get that learning time in. Because if not, you're just going to get too busy. And I thought to myself, that's ridiculous. Um, that's not going to work, but I was doing spot learning. So it'd be like weeks at a time where I didn't learn anything. And then I would take like a Monday or a Friday and I would learn for two to three hours. And I just didn't feel like I had a rhythm or routine going. And there was so much time in between. And sometimes I would forget and it just became a mess. So then I did, I started doing that. I started scheduling 30 minutes a day, um, during my peak emotional state to enhance my learning. And we'll talk more about that in the, in the next couple, uh, top learnings I'm going to discuss today. Um, schedule 30 minutes a day. Um, I use an, an EDX or a LinkedIn learning LinkedIn learning. I think you have to pay for unless you have a premium. It's like an online MOOC. It's, it's really fantastic. And there's edX, which is completely free. So now I'm doing that every day, 30 minutes. It's fantastic. Um, and the best thing about it is you, you set that time aside in the morning, 30 minutes on your calendar. So no one takes that time away from you. You start off at a really, really great um, momentum and speed that day. And then you can mention or try to mention the things that you learned that day or try to utilize some of the things that you learned that day in, in the calls and different conversations you have later that day. It really helps. It makes, makes it so that it sticks. And it's just really valuable when you can start talking, getting on calls and talking to people about the things that you learned that day. The third top thing that I learned this year, um, of course, and number 10 is going to be is, is it's going to be getting bigger in intensity as we go. Um, but was protecting people's time, the best gift that you can give. So we're all super busy. Um, none of us have any time anymore. We're either on the cell phones, on, on the way to, to work, or we're listening to podcasts, or we're, you know, we're on calls all the time. And one of the things that you can't do, and I work remotely, um, I don't work out of an office, or I don't go into an office very often. 
but it's, it's really hard to do nice things for people. It's really hard to buy people coffee or lunch nowadays um, just because there's no time. Um, so what you can do um, to really be gracious and really show that you're a leader and you really show that you care and you have empathy for people is to give them time back. Um, help protect their time. So if you're talking to someone from the leadership team or a colleague and you start off by saying, I want to be respectful of your time. How can, we, how can we do this? Ask them, how can we be most respectful of your time? Help me, help me out, um, colleague or, or manager. Or What should I do? Should I, get, should I grab a 15-minute conversation with us next week? Should I do half an hour every two weeks? What does this look like? What do I need to prepare for before I come to this meeting? What are you looking for? Ask them questions. Ask them what they're prepared to do and, or what, and what, what they're prepared to accept. And, and for the most part, if I have to schedule a call with somebody, I schedule a 15-minute call. And some people laugh at this, like, Derek, 15, you're the king of 15-minute calls. But you know what? A lot of people love 15-minute calls. You show up three minutes late, you talk for five minutes, and then you get off. And that, boom, done. It's only 15 minutes. Um, if it can't get scheduled, since it's only a 15-minute call, you can kind of fit it in later, anytime later that day. But, and then making sure there's an agenda. 15-minute call, making sure there's an agenda, and sticking to it, and just giving your best to give them your time back. And, and if you just kind of ingrain that into the system when you start to ask people for favors or ask them for their time, just understand if I how can I just give them some time back in this conversation? Um, that was just, that's been so powerful for me for really making great relationships and making people feel like I really care about their time and really care about being a team member on their team. Number four, being prescriptive is far more powerful than just educating. So, uh, you know, so working at a big engineering company, you just really get used to getting on calls, pulling up a slide deck, you know, proposing whatever said technology the customer wants to know about on the call, um, going through slides, giving them education, giving them education, bringing people on and giving them education. And our technology stacks are changing so much, whether you work at Adobe or you work at a small consulting firm, whether you work at a big, a big four consulting firm, whether you work at a startup in San Diego, you know, education nowadays is so easy to get. People can get it online. They can get it on, on Instagram. They can get it on LinkedIn. They can get all these different social media websites. Um, they can obviously read books, they can do it on audible. They can, they can get it on podcasts. Um, there's education is all over the damn place. And one of the things that you can do to add value is instead of just educating somebody, come to the call with a plan, come with a, come to the call with some understanding of who that person is, whether or not you stalked their LinkedIn or you did some side research, come to the call, understanding who the team is, come to the call, understanding what their goals are and how you can really be prescriptive around what you have to educate them on. Instead of just giving a blank slate, here's, our, here's what I'm presenting today, this is, this is what I'm sharing today, really try to understand who they are. So provide a background, understand the customer's challenges, if it's a customer, if it's a colleague, if it's a manager, and then prescribe recommendations or best practices from your experience, your, pra- your perspective, your empathy. Um, and this kind of weaves around the challenger sales model um, which is teach, tailor, and take uh, take control, which I'm super big on. I can go ahead and put a link to the challenger sale um, in the the, uh, in the in the show notes. Um, I think it's powerful not only for salespeople but for anybody who wants to be successful working with teams. Um, so be prescriptive, guys. Don't just educate. That was my one of my biggest learnings from this year. And then number five, being an energy multiplier. So I got this advice from a keynote. Um, that uh, Jen Chasen, 
um, who is the U.S. CTO for the National Solutions Organizations um, for enterprise our enterprise customers. And uh, she's super fantastic. Um, I can also put a, a link to her her LinkedIn in the show notes. And one of the things that she mentioned, um, I've seen her speak uh, quite a bit um, in different team calls and then in person up in, in Redmond and headquarters when I first got hired. And it's all about, it goes along, it goes farther than the power of positivity, which I'll talk about. But in general, it's all about having that super, super self-aware self-awareness about your energy levels and really being cognizant about how your energy is, is being multiplied through other people. Imagine you know, coming on a call or coming to a meeting and just having that high energy and being funny and cracking jokes and talking about the weekend and just wanting to be there. Being present and wanting to be there, it's amazing how your energy can start to bleed off and start to recruit others to have the same kind of high-intensity energy model and you never know um, who you can start advocating with and, who, and how you can start selling your ideas by having high energy. You can really spark a lot of creativity amongst your teammates. And one of the things that you can do to do this, and I learned this by going to an, un, uh, an Unleash the Power Within event by Tony Robbins. It was up in San Jose. It was a four-day event. Incredible. Um, the details of that are for another story. But one of the, the biggest objectives and agendas of the entire event was changing and utilizing your emotional state to get things done. And he talked about your peak emotional state. And the three things that you can do to have a peak emotional state is to have focus. So focus on your end goal, to have language that you're using that reinforces how you feel language. Like, you know, you guys have used this before. Let's crush this. Let's crush this project. Let's, uh, you know, let's like, you know, I, I use like to use crush a lot, but um, let's do a killer job. Um, this is insanely awesome. This is incredible. This is an incredible project. Let's do this. Um, we're an awesome team. Just like just language that is going to really reinforce how you feel. And then physiology. So I'm standing right now while I'm talking. It's giving me a lot more energy. Sometimes I'll take a lot of calls while I'm standing. Sometimes I'll, I'll turn on the video feed on my Surface Book so that people can actually see me uh, engaging. Um, if anyone has ever done a power pose, before a big interview or before a big presentation, it's, it, that helps a lot with your physiology. So be an energy multiplier. Really understand what makes you more energetic and try, to un and try to understand how that impacts others. And it goes for the positive energy and it goes for the negative energy too. When you are depressed or you, have a, you, had, you had a bad day or you had a bad weekend, you bring that to your team, you bring that on those calls and you have, there is the propensity to lower the effectiveness of that team because your energy wasn't there. So as long as you can multiply your energy, um, that is, that is just a super, super effective thing that I learned this year. Thanks, Jen Chase. appreciate that. Uh, so power of positivity, the power of positivity. Uh, generally I'm a pretty positive person, um, just because that's my personality, but coming out the gate this year at Microsoft, it was super tough to be good at anything just because I don't have a technology background. Um, I have a business background. I, work in, I worked in various business roles, got my MBA, but I'm at this big technology engineering company. Like, what the hell can I bring to the table? Like, why would anybody listen to me? Um, and that really sucked. That, that has been really hard, especially the first two months, three months. Um, first six months, I started picking things up. And now, of course, I'm a lot more comfortable, but there's a lot more for me to learn. But one of the things that I realized is, look, if I get on a call 
if I talk to a customer and um, I'm talking to a team, I'm doing a presentation uh, you know, to people who are a lot more smarter in the space that I am, um, the one thing that I can do is just be super positive. So this is a lot like being an energy multiplier, but I'm going to bring the positivity. I'm going to bring the happiness. I'm going to bring the optimism. Um, and it has worked every single time, especially, you know, I have usually 10 calls a day. A lot of, most people have a lot of calls a day, maybe 10, 50, some of you have 20, 30. You're dealing with over 60 to 80 people a day. You never know when that little bit of positivity can lighten someone's day or change the entire direction of a particular workflow or increase the ability for high performance in that group. What if you come to the call, um, you have a couple people that work well with highly positive, optimistic people, and you kind of start acting that way and all of a sudden, boom, 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 you're triggering these different psychological elements within them. And then all of a sudden, collectively, you as a team are now a lot more effective. So power of positivity was super effective for me. Um, a lot of the feedback that I got from a lot of my, my colleagues was, Derek, you're a super positive person. Um, although I didn't ask them how, what my technologist skills were. <laughs> so power of positivity, super important. Try to bring that um, to the table when working with groups. One of the biggest things I, I learned this year at Microsoft and really, really happy to share that. Um, number seven. So we're getting close to the end. Number seven, you're really good at something. Uh, focus on what that something is and be clear about your strengths and weaknesses. So um, I know a lot of folks like to be the smartest person in the room. Um, I just am not that brilliant and I just can't pull that off at all. So one of the things naturally I've been able to do is just be very clear with people, um, whether it be one-on-ones or talking um, amongst the rest of my team about what I absolutely suck at and what I'm really, really, really good at. And then every now and then I'll say, hey, I'm, I'm okay at this, but why don't we have you do that because you're, you're, that's your strength and I'll do this because that's my strength. How does that sound? And that is just so effective. Um, it's really hard to admit that you're not good at something specific, but it's so great to tell someone that, look, I'm not good at this or this is not my strength but this is my strength. And if I can do this, we'll, we'll really excel. If this is, this is where I'm at in the role on the team, um, if there's a, an available uh, place for me to take up that role. Um, that has been so effective. A, it just really tells the team that you are empathetic to the success of the team. It shows that you are humble. Um, it shows that you are straightforward, um, that you're candid with what's going on. And I think being able to, to put yourself on the line like that and to take some risk and to really admit some truths, people really understand that you're very credible. There's trustworthiness there. It starts to communicate integrity. And, but most of all, it makes the team work well. You know what people are good at. You know what people suck at. Everyone sucks at something. Everyone's good at something. It's super highly effective to do that. So that was one of the really, really great things I learned um, by constantly doing a lot of these things. So. Number seven. Number eight, the value of asking for help. Again, um, this kind of lines up with number seven. The first thing I would do when I would, get on, when I would get on a call, and most of the time, of course, if the customer's on the call, I'm not going to say, hey, guys, I don't understand you know, how to do this, this, and that. I would you know, obviously do this internally. Or even if I didn't understand something that the customer was trying to communicate with me, I would kind of ask them, look, I'm trying to understand your business more. Can you kind of help me map this out? Um, but it's it's that 
ability for you to understand what you suck at. It's that ability to under, to understand that you don't understand something. And I think this is one of the things, if you go back a couple of my podcast episodes to the, to the, the interview I had with Connie Fan, she's a, a Taiwanese uh, immigrant, phenomenal solution architect here at Microsoft. And she mentioned one of the things that she's done to um, really upend advers- the adversity that she's found in her, in her life and her career um, as a Taiwanese woman in big tech was the value of asking for help. She would ask all these different people for help. And even if it was super, super tough subjects, there, she was bound to find someone that would help her figure out what she was trying to learn because everyone's, their brains are designed completely different. The way that they learn is completely different. So if you're not asking for help consistently and constantly on a regular basis, you're just not going to understand and you're not going to grow. Um, and this really goes back to growth mindset, um, which I really believe in. Um, and Connie believed in that as well. But the value for asking for help, there's, you can't ask for help too much. I've asked help from customers, from managers, especially managers, colleagues, different colleagues. Um, and it's, it's really helped me in my first year at Microsoft understand technology, understand how to be effective and understand how to work better with others. Okay, now we're on to number nine. Have a team, a team of coaches and mentors. I've, re- I've always done really well with relationship building, but with technology moving as fast as, as it is, um, people moving roles as fast as they are, the world is just moving at a very, very fast pace. And it's very hard to understand how to be successful in every single thing that you're doing, whether it's personal finance, whether it's relationships, whether it's personal relationships, whether it's your career, whether it's networking, whether it's just being effective in your workplace. There's a lot of things that we need help with. Going back to number eight, the value of asking for help. Um, I've done really well this year um, by having a team of coaches and mentors. Literally 12 people. I think it's probably 12 or 13 people that I go to specifically for help, for guidance, to challenge me. Some of them, I I probably have about five or six monthly check-ins a month or every six weeks. A lot of people think I'm crazy for that, but these are 15-minute, 30-minute check-ins where I have different goals. So some of these these things are, I have 30 different goals I'm sharing with people, but I'm asking them to challenge me. I'm sharing with them my successes and my failures. I'm getting some objective and subjective feedback. And then I'm able to apply that in that specific area that I'm trying to focus on and get better at. So I love having different coach and a different mentor for every single knowledge scape so that I can build up a portfolio of how to get better at all these different at all these different things I'm trying to increase my performance on. And I, I ha, you know, there's someone at work that I talk to about my relationships at work. Now I also talk to them about my relationships at home, just because we have that relationship now. And that's really been been helping me. So you know the, the the top things that I that I see, and this is such an important thing for me. That's why it's number nine. The top things that I see here that come out from having a team of coaches and mentors is you, you build a solid relationship um, throughout the business. So you have folks in New York, you have folks in Florida, you have folks in in you know different geographic geographic places, or you have people in different um, divisions of the business. You have people in marketing, you have people in sales, you have people in operations, you have people in data science, all these different things. Now you have this cross share, this opportunity for cross share that's multiplied, and now your network is get is growing, and you're able to kind of get information from all these different um, areas of the business that you didn't, you wouldn't normally have access to. 
Um, and then ultimately, you are the average of your top of the top five people you hunt, you hang out with. I've heard this you know a million times in the last year or so because uh, it's true. So surround yourself with the people that you want to become one day. So when you are really reaching out to coaches, you're reaching out to mentors. Since you're on the offense, you have the ability to secure time with these people and really ask them ask them for that time. So you're really you're really designing what who you want to be as a person. And I think that's so powerful. I can, I'll probably have more, another podcast in the future talking more about how that's helped me in my previous life before Microsoft. But if you can design the environment, your social environment and the, your professional environment and the people that you spend your time with and get advice from, you can really design your future. And I think that's just a, a really awesome quality um, to focus on, especially if you're a junior executive or someone that's in their 20s that are really trying to learn and become um, a more functional and effective person. I think that's really, really important. I have that as my number nine. I have some wonderful coaches and mentors at Microsoft um, that I'm just so lucky to have. And um, I hope one day that I can do the same for other people as well and be a coach or mentor. So um, having a team of these folks is something that you should really concentrate on. That's one of my biggest learnings um, of this year. And then finally, number 10, um, the most effective the most powerful thing that I learned this year working at Microsoft um, in the last 365 days or so, 363, was to lead with empathy and strive for inclusion. So many, many times over the last uh, half hour of this podcast, I mentioned empathy and the, import the importance of understanding how pe trying to understand how people feel and trying to look at the world through other people's eyes. But you know, if you're if you have 15 to 20 calls a day and you're impacting 60 to 80 people on a day, let's say you have you know one call an hour, eight calls, each call's got 10 people. That's 80 people a day that you're interacting with, which is pretty common in today's um, uh, uh, world of communication through Skype and things like that. You're engaging so many people every single day, and you see and and just think about the last time you've been on a call. This, usually the same people kind of lead these calls, right? The same top 5% of the people on, on these calls are usually leading these calls. But when you're coming from an industry like mine that in uh, with technology, where the majority of the industry is indexed toward um, Caucasian men, there's a large chance that the majority of the people that are talking on these different calls are Caucasian men. That's just, that's just straight up the way it is. Um, but then when you have diversity on these different calls, you have people that are from different um, geographies, ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, sexual orientation, uh, gender, all these different things. It's really hard to figure out how to, to be inclusive of those people um, if you're not trying to constantly be inclusive. So if there's someone on a call that's not talking, you know, encourage them to talk, encourage them to share their ideas. Um, you know who those people are. Um, you know, one of the things that you can do on a call is just get consensus from everybody. If there's five people on the call, it's not that hard to say, hey, Ryan, what do you think about this? You know, hey, Arun, what do you think about this? Hey, Julie, what do you think about this? Like, it's not that hard to just ask people what they think and ask for their consensus, ask for their confirmation. And for me, that's just been really incredible. I personally 
don't have a huge problem um, sharing my ideas with people. That's just because of the of my background, but some people do. And I think as you start to work with bigger teams of people, um, and we see this um, a lot, I think in technology or, or, or male dominated um, industries, it's harder for certain people to speak up just because the way that they do business and the way they share ideas is different. So, you know, ask your colleagues for their thoughts. Not everyone is going to be super loud and try to be heard. Um, so it's really important to be inclusive in those moments. And I think diversity is very, very powerful. I think it's the most beautiful thing in the world when you can work with a team and you can look around and everyone looks different. They sound different. They think differently. They've been around for a different amount of time. They live in different places. Um, their families look different. All those different models are completely different. I think because of that diversity is the reason why certain businesses and certain groups um, have been so successful. And um, I think that's just very important. And it, you're also just going to make for a better team member. So as you can see, that that was my number 10. Lead with empathy. Strive for inclusion. Those are my top 10 learnings slash takeaways from my one year at Microsoft. I love working for this company. I love working with people. I hope this kind of um, gave some perspective on how you can use any one of these 10 things to be more effective working with teams. But I think these things are super, super important. Uh, I love talking about them. And I really look forward to um, sharing more of my learnings in the, in the future. Happy anniversary to me. Um, it's been a phenomenal year, mostly because I have really, really great people that I work with. Um, really, really great and beautiful people that I work with every single day. So really enjoyed this, really enjoyed sharing with all of you. And hopefully we can talk soon. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening today and having some fun with us on the podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please follow me on LinkedIn or at DRUSS Network, D-R-U-S-S Network on Twitter or Instagram and reach out anytime to connect and talk about how businesses should be becoming more data-driven. The Data Binge Podcast is a personal thought forum where we share knowledge and ideas, views and opinions expressed here do not reflect those of our employer, Microsoft. I really hope you enjoyed. Thank you.